0: Your trauma, my perfect fire, my perfect life. Welcome to the word on Hill, My um, name is Pokemon. Those aren't,
1: those are barely words. There are some words there. There are some words. Word is the word of the day. And so you started ah, ah, the podcast ah, ah, ironically oh by me. not using them correctly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's. You can always count on me for something weirdly ironic.
1: That's not true. I think it's because you tried to start really straight laced today. You, you had your NPR voice on.
0: And well, I was trying to do it Hello, super fast.
1: Yeah, but NPR super fast voice or PBS maybe.
0: Hello, welcome to the Word on Hill. My name is Father Peter Musad. I am really happy that you're here. And this is Scott Powell, who's also my co host today. And we're looking forward to. And every day. And every day. And all day long. Do you have other co
1: hosts to this podcast that I I do not know of? There
0: are other co hosts of which you do not know. Of which you do not know. I hope not. The Holy Spirit's actually the true co host. Here we go. Yes, of course he is. Thank you. That's
1: okay. Come on. No, it's true. It's good. It's true and good. All things are good and true and right. Uh, It's the third Sunday of Lent. I don't know how your Lent's going, but I'm tired of it. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is good. It's been a good Lent so far. I I was
0: tired of Lent in the fall. (laughs) I was tired of Lent last March. Yeah,
1: did like... (laughs) The dude. Giganto Lent.
0: Yeah, dude, that was like the unending Lent of 2020. It still just continues on. This is still th- it. it th- that's, th- that's actually why, like, um, <laughs> dude, there's, there's just glimmers of, like, like it was 60 degrees the other day, I and don't... I was like, I just felt like the world was normal for a minute.
1: It was, and now the barometers are falling and snow is coming. and it's But it's not even good snow. It's like rain snow, which is the worst kind of snow, oh, in my right. humble opinion.
0: <laughs> well, dude, to answer that problem, I've been doing jewelry again. I've been doing. Small to answer the problem of rainy snow. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I get to sit inside and do exercise by hit, taking a hammer and striking pieces of silver till I form vessels that I can then consecrate the blood of Jesus in. That's
1: very, um, very reminiscent of Exodus and the section of reading that we have for today. X-X- those things don't happen in our readings but they're in proximity of and that they, happening. they are well
0: so, third sunday of Lent, our first reading is exodus 20 chapters 1 through 7. yes it is and 17.
1: <laughs> what did you say oh 7 no no out of like, 10.
0: i'm doing going too fast
1: <clears throat> yeah slow down remember, when you used to, remember we used out remember we used to anyway. drink red bull <laughs> i do remember that that was fun yeah we used to have the flaming hot limon cheetos and red
0: bull just to hurt your dip heart. them in no we didn't do that <laughs>
1: Uh, Our responsorial psalm is from Psalm 19, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, and the response coming from the Gospel of John, which (laughs) always makes (laughs) me chuckle. Yeah.
0: Reading two is First Corinthians one twenty-two to twenty-five.
1: That is right. Yes, uh, and our gospel reading is coming from John chapter two, verses thirteen
0: through twenty-five. Yeah, the
1: overturning of the money changers' tables.
0: Dude, which is every, everybody is everybody loves that one. Everybody, everybody loves to misuse that one. If I may be so bold. Yes, that is bold.
1: Yes, no, no. And, and as did uh, the ancients. That's what got Jesus crucified. Was people manipulating the story for their own ends to get Jesus put on the cross? More on that later. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That is one of the accusations that they bring up when Jesus is on trial. Hey, you said you would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. What's your problem? We're going to put you on a cross. Right. So it really is. It this passage yeah, you, is the center he, of a lot.
0: Yeah, you went hard. Well, but before we get there, we have to so, go through our. Yeah, exodus. we're not there. Oh, I see what
1: you did there. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> All right, so Exodus chapter twenty. Oh, we already said the readings.
0: That, see the trans, the transfiguration. <laughs> Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration about his Exodus. the mount of what? Transfiguration. 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 <laughs> Dude, I, I don't know once I get You're going, going so fast. fast. <laughs> once I get going fast, I have a hard time slowing down.
1: Yeah, you were going fast. Um all right. So what we have this week is the Ten Commandments. I've never heard of those. What are those? Oh my gosh, Father Peter! <laughs> What's well, ironic that you bring it up that way, because that leads to I think a fairly important theological point that I would love to make.
0: Well, uh, but I don't mean
1: to. I, I just I just jumped in. Sorry, I want to. No, I, 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 I Well, okay.
0: Like, I was just trying to be silly, and if if it's in, if it my was silliness inspiring. inspires it to so talk does. about it,
1: what did you say again?
0: <laughs> I, I've never heard of those before. Oh yeah, no, this is important. Okay,
1: so um, the the Exodus. Um, so I just uh, was teaching. I do an Old Testament class, and we just finished talking about the Exodus. And I was telling the students, you can pretty evenly divide the whole book of Exodus is, well, first of all, I think it's safe to say it is the most foundational story in all of Judaism for demonstrating God's Salvific power, his redemption. This is the prime moment of redemption, the redemptive power of God for the Israelite people, right? This is when he sets them free. For Christians, <clears throat> for Christians, uh, there's another phase to it. He does even a greater salvific act in the New Testament. But even like you said in the Transfiguration, the whole New Testament, the passion itself is framed around the Exodus. Right. And the New Testament always uses the Exodus as a point of reference. Hey, this is a new kind of Exodus. But um, It's also one of the most familiar stories for a lot of us. But even though we kind of all, a lot of us have this reference point of either Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt cartoon, you know, for this (laughs) whole narrative, um, I think a lot of us lose the sheer aspect of relationship that this book is focused around. And this actually, the 10 commandments are the heart of this. So I think you can evenly divide the whole book of Exodus into three major parts. And this is how the ancient Jews actually looked at it as three phases of a relationship. So chapters one through 18, which is kind of the narrative that we all know, you know, the Moses and putting in the basket and the crossing of the red sea and the plagues and the, you know, going head to head with Pharaoh. This is commonly seen as like the courtship phase. And I'm always reminded, I, I feel like the, First 18 chapters of Excess are like every romantic comedy plot I've ever seen, which is essentially, no, <laughs> stay with me. Whoa. No, think about it. Every, I mean, it's an overgeneralization, but every romantic comedy is basically some variation of there's the girl and she finds herself with the wrong guy or the guy that she shouldn't be with. And so the good guy needs to prove himself as the one that she really ought to be with and why the other guy's actually a slime ball. Right. But isn't that? Yeah, yeah. Essentially the plot.
0: It's a a false—in technical terms, it's the false suitor. Yeah, exactly right. That's the first 18 chapters of Exodus. Okay.
1: Israel, who has been enslaved by Egypt for the last 400 years, has either forgotten or had memory of God or knowledge of God systematically wiped out of their culture. And so they need to be reminded that they're with the wrong guy. They're with the wrong suitor. They're following all of these gods of Egypt that are no gods, that are— leading to death, that are all of these things of creation, which are good, but are not divine. This is how Egypt operates. And so God steps in and chooses um, a partner named Moses to demonstrate to Israel that, no, these gods bring death. There are no gods. They are false gods. I alone am the one who loves you and wants to be wedded with you for all of eternity. And that's, the first, that's why the plagues happen. They're all shaming the gods of Egypt, like the Nile, which was considered a god, and cows, which were considered gods, and animals and insects Thugs. and all sorts of things, which were considered divine. God is putting them all to death and showing that they are nothing. So as to win the hearts of the people of Israel and the Egyptians, too. They're actually part of the plan as well. So after the first part of sort of trying to win them and court them, he releases Israel from from Egypt, they go off into the wilderness, and there he woos them. And at the center, we get the marriage. And that's how the ancients looked at it. You have the courtship phase, then you have marriage phase. And at the center of the marriage is the Ten Commandments, which, so the reason I think this is so interesting is that we, we think of law, or we think of commandments, or we think of rules, and... For so many of us, it's just automatically, it's dry, it's dull, it's sometimes arbitrary. It's like, oh, why do I have to do those things? But the point you actually made at the beginning, your snarky point, is important because none of these things, or at least most of them, the Ten Commandments... We didn't really need to be told most of those things. Humanity no. didn't really need to be told don't kill people. What? Actually, right, I had they, no idea. There
0: was a study that was recently of just like what are the, what is like the universal ethics that have are found in most cultures of most times? Yeah,
1: sometimes we call that natural law.
0: <laughs> but. <laughs> they, yeah, anyway, but sorry. but psychologists, scientists are like Don't call it that. Yeah, they're like they're like there's nothing intrinsic we must, you know. But then <sighs> they're like but what but is But then un- they find all these But <laughs> then what is intrinsic? Things, yeah. yeah. So and and most of this is actually found within most cultures of most places.
1: Exactly. Which makes sense then that these commandments, they're not like, okay, here's all the rules you got to follow. These were seen by the ancients as the wedding vows, the words that we give to one another. And actually in the Hebrew, it says, so in our reading, you'll hear in those days, God delivered all these commandments. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say commandments, which again, can kind of mislead us sometimes. It says in these days, God delivered all these words. Logoi, right? The, he delivered the word to them. And we know that because partially it starts off not by giving them what they should do, but by telling them about what God did. I'm the Lord, who is who I am. I led you out of Egypt. I led you out of slavery. It's reminding them, this is the God who loves you. So as to prepare them for what are seen as vows. And the reason I like the wedding vow analogy is, <laughs> so if you get married, I got married. When you get to the, to the wedding vow part of the ceremony, they shouldn't be all new information to you. Like, do you, Scott, promise to take, you know, having to hold and to, for better or for worse, for good or for ill? Like, wait, what? I had no idea that's what I was like. They should be things you already sort of know, but you're saying, no, I commit to this. I vow myself. I give myself to this. I acknowledge this. That's what the Ten Commandments are meant to be, is that this is the life that God has designed for us, built into our very souls, built into our consciousness, into natural law, Will you give yourself to him as he has given himself to you? And so these are seen as vows, not because they're brand new information for Israel, but it's Israel being asked to say, do you promise to love me back? Will you give yourself to me as I have given myself to you? Which sheds the whole new light on these commandments, which again, even the word commandment is a little misleading because again, even the Jews don't call them commandments. They call them the 10 words. It's God speaking words to his people, vows, love language,
0: Asking for their hearts and promising himself to so, us. So much so that um, that Moses even had to veil his face.
1: Absolutely right. Which is not, that imagery is not lost on the ancients. They're like, right. no, it's, it's wedding vow stuff. Um, before we move on, just to, I said there's three major parts. So you got the courtship, the wedding Bears. vows, and then the third massive part of the book of Exodus is the building of the tabernacle and all the furnishings and everything else. And the ancients actually saw that as the new couple building their home together. Like decorating the new house. Where do you put oh. the furniture? What kind of curtains do you buy? Which is sort of a beautiful way of looking at this yeah. kind of dry section of the book. If you see it in terms of relationship and God's word, it actually makes sense.
0: So I thought that was kind of cool. That's really cool. I, I like it. I think that, I mean, it kind of lightly glazes over the fact that Moses had to smash the first set.
1: Well, because... <laughs> If you see them as wedding vows, though, it makes what's happening down below with the rest of Israel with the sin of worshiping the golden calf so much more severe because it's not just, oh, we decided to worship this idol. It's as Israel is receiving her vows on her wedding day, they have hired a prostitute. And they're actually engaging in something that is so horrific. For the ancient Jews, did you know this? They see the sin of the golden calf as actually a more dire sin than even the original sin of Adam and Eve. They say it's a bigger deal because there was more knowledge. There was more, you know, I mean, it was, we should have known so much better by this point. So they put more emphasis on that sin than even on Adam and Eve, because that's how dire this
0: is. Which this is the second set that we're getting. Yeah.
1: Uh, Is that right? Yeah. No, it's just chapter nineteen or twenty. It's the first one, I think. Is it the first one? Yeah, I believe it's the first. Oh, one. Oh, it's the first one. Well, because he hasn't, Moses hasn't discovered what's what's happening down below yet. yet. Like
0: he's hanging out. So uh, everything seems fine right now. Right, which is interesting because it's the very first things. You know, I took you out of Egypt, and you're not going to carve idols for yourselves. Oh. And if only you knew. He's. Like, he's like, can you
1: sense God rolling his eyes? as he's saying that? He's like, oh my gosh, you guys.
0: Yeah, like this oh, is the worst.
1: It's painful, actually, and and as a people who are called to remember the totality, of the story it's meant to make you feel a little stab in the heart when you read that you're like oh I know what's coming right but I I do want to emphasize for where we're going next um, just because I I said at the very beginning of the podcast and I want to say it again we need to be thinking in terms of God's word not merely his rules right because his word is what's being given on the mountain yep all right so Psalm 19
0: Psalm nineteen,
1: which is fairly straightforward. It's it's a psalm of praise. It's meant to be sang by Levitical priests, according to tradition, in the in the uh, sanctuary in the temple, calling the people to worship.
0: Which is like actually the Levitical priests come about on the Mount of Sinai because of down below, right? Out of the (laughs) unfaithfulness that they actually had to show up. That's right. So so in a certain sense, it's like okay, hold on, we're coming back and realizing in this psalm, in the voice of the Levitical priests saying like, no, we're going to be faithful to these um, wedding vows and that these words... Are actually gonna bring about something vital. Absolutely. This is, if we're faithful, we're gonna be vital, and we're gonna sing about this. Which is, which is one of the things. I mean, you think about like the contemporary culture. Mm. People oftentimes think I will only live if I have something new and special and great. Right. Versus saying no, if fidelity, fidelity to what the word that has been uttered it seems like it's going to stifle you but in reality actually there this it, this has something long and profound in it that's going to bring you to something much deeper.
1: It's true and and in the wisdom of the church we bring to, I chuckled at it that we pull out, out John for the actual responsorial right. but there's something beautiful in the way the church actually merges these things because what Psalm 19 says is the law of the Lord is perfect the the word is torah in Hebrew. So the law which makes us think of rules, laws. But then the church comes in with the lens of Jesus Christ and interprets that for us and says lord you have the words of everlasting life the torah the word the law they're all the same thing there's just phases of god's revelation before we can see it in its fullness right because the reality is if there's infidelity in a relationship then the rules the norms of that relationship are going to look different right because you've broken the norms you've broken the vows you've broken the rules and all of a sudden the nature of that relationship changes that's what happens for israel for most of the old testament until then, we have the revelation of what those vows were always meant to be and look like in Jesus, mm-hmm. which is what this conflation of the Psalm with John actually
0: gives to us, that which is, is beautiful. cool. beautiful.
1: Which takes us to 1 Corinthians.
0: The Corinthians. Um, yeah, I think that we're going to have to Corinthianize this podcast. Ooh, ooh, ooh <laughs> I know. Careful. I, uh, that was my joke. <laughs> yeah, no, that was whenever, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, I mean, yeah. okay. When I look at this reading about you know it's Greeks and wisdom and signs so Jews demand
1: signs Greeks look for wisdom. Right. These two and things Jesus is pleasing to neither group.
0: Right, because the word that like the word that he utters mm is just tough it's it 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 strikes something to the heart of every like like there's nothing a sign is romantic why do we actually Mm. have to be warned against idols because you know what there's something potent and powerful about an elephant showing up and you're like ooh, wow that elephant that just showed up is this beautiful profound sign about something like in a certain sense like I remember having a conversation with you and it's pay attention to the animals that come into your life oh, because yeah, they have yeah, something yeah. to tell you, right. And there's something potent about saying God mm-hmm. is sovereign and that the uh, and that, that God is going to give you signs through natural means. But what happens is that it's easy to skip the God is going to give part and to just say, I'm getting, a, the universe is telling me this. Yeah. And to yeah. I- idolize a, like a spiritualized creation without a creator itself. Like, Absolutely. and so so Which is what the Greeks are up to. The Greeks, well, they, they do it, but they do it rather than in the concrete physical manifestation of the world. They, they did that too, in, though. The, in abstract concepts but they did it through the physical i mean that
1: because remember in romans paul rails against them for like building stone statues of birds and and other things that they have made mm. to gods it's a both and
0: well yeah and they they also do it i mean in their in their temples they have absolutely this, this absolutely perfectly optically utilized thing so that mm-hmm. the columns are this way and look how pleasing and intellectually satisfying this real thing is and they and they get they get enamored with this I- ideological thing that becomes i an idol.
1: So are you saying that there are people who made their temples into a kind of idol? Yes. Interesting.
0: Do you oh, see where I'm going? With I didn't this? I didn't even I just it was I didn't even conceive of that.
1: I think that's this is a, this is huge and what happens, well, okay. The signs that the Jewish people are looking for, or some the Jews who have rejected Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians, and right. this wisdom or false wisdom or creation without the creator kind of wisdom that the Greeks are falling into, those both, all of those ideas actually kind of in an incarnate way become countered in the gospel reading in a certain sense. Yes. Because a lot of things come from this moment. So this is John chapter 2. One of the weird things that we just have to acknowledge is that... Um, People give John a hard time because here in chapter two, we're only two chapters into the book, and you have the cleansing of the temple scene, the overturning of the money changers. All three of the synoptics, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all put the, the cleansing of the temple right before the crucifixion. They put it in Holy Week. And John puts it here at the very beginning. I think there is reason to believe. So some people think, well, maybe just John has rearranged it because he's trying to make a, a theological
0: point, which is valid. Yeah, that that would be not be out of John's Absolutely. manner, and it wouldn't
1: be, you know, uh, it wouldn't ma- render anything, you know, um, in error in the Bible. It would just be, you know, telling a story a particular way. But I think there's reason to believe that Jesus did this twice, and I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Yeah, we or have. Not. But,
0: but remind me, because I, I, I forget the details of why you think that. Well, there's a
1: couple reasons. Um, the two main reasons so he goes in he flips out over the money we're just we're pretty hot on the heels of the wedding feast at cana right Right. which just came before this and we're right before nicodemus so we're smack in the middle of the wedding feast at cana and nicodemus coming to jesus and what you have is him going up to the temple for passover goes in flips over the tables is, is driving everybody out with whips of cords but he says the two pieces of evidence is some people are upset because they say hey wait a second because Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And that's what I mentioned earlier. That be, comes back to haunt him in the crucifixion or the trial. Um, but he, they said, where is it? Um, they said the Jews answered him and said, well, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you're going to raise it in three days, which sounds like kind of a throwaway line, unless you know the history of this, because Herod began his renovation project of the temple in the year 19 B.C., And so if it was in the year 19 B.C. that he started this massive renovation of the temple and you fast forward uh, 46 years, that puts you in the year 27, which would be very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Yeah. And so they actually give you the mathematics to actually figure this out. The other thing that I think is evidential is that when he's doing this, all these people are gathering around saying, wait, what signs do you have to show us why you're doing this? We want signs, which is what Corinthians, remember, accused people of. Yeah. What we know from the Gospels is that the Gospels are all about signs. But at this point in the Gospel of John, he hasn't really begun to do his public signs yet. This ushers them in. This is the first of the signs that will come. And it goes second, on. The second, actually. Well, the second, you, but the first just, one was a little bit underwrapped. Yeah, the, piece to yeah that was
0: at the wedding feast of Cana, and you had For to kind sure. of be there. And
1: yeah. it wasn't, yeah, that's why it's not quite a public one. But he, his signs have already begun. Right. But this is where people are like, wait, what signs do you got? And it's actually at this point that at, at the very end, it says that people started following him because of the signs, because of these external things. They're like, oh, you're working miracles, you're doing cool stuff. And I think this is clearly on Paul's mind when he brings this up in 1 Corinthians of, yeah, you just want miracles. You want to see all the cool things, you want to see the magic tricks but you're under or you're ignoring the word. You want to see the stone tablets, but you don't want to see what's on them. You don't want to see the finger, the breath, the word that's actually written. It's not about the tablets which are breakable. Moses can cast those to the ground. The word remains because the commandments exist without the stone tablets of the commandments because that's what a vow is. And Jesus is Jesus, whether or not he's doing interesting miracles for you to see or not, whether or not you want the beauty and the architecture of the temple that Jesus says to these people, you have made into a den of robbers and thieves, you have made into an idol and you have forgot what is at the heart of this temple, which is the presence of God Almighty. What is the presence of God? The word who is standing in front of you, the word Jesus flipping over the money changers tables, driving out all these animals. It's not Jesus purely angry at commercialism. He's not mad that we're buying and selling. If that's the case, I mean, we got a singing bookstore in the front of our church. Like, right. I better watch myself, you know? Right, exactly. It's not that. He's saying, no, what you have made the temple into is not good. And so I am prophetically showing you a day that this will all end and you will see the true temple for who he is because you have created signs and idolatry around it. Which has distracted you from the reality, and you, I, 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 which I
0: sh- is which is the source of the sign and the right. the, the wonder of the temple. Right. It's 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 yes. just it's elevating the natural above the supernatural. Right. It, I, like yes, it's separating the created from the creator. Which is exactly what you said in First
1: Corinthians. Right. As far as what the Greeks are doing and, and the Jews are doing. And it the Jews too. Are We doing. all. And it's not about the Greeks or the Jews.
0: It's about we all do this. But then that this I, is
1: a human thing.
0: But then that actually goes back to Exodus when they're at the bottom of the mountain and they're worshiping the golden calf yeah. they're 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 going so far from the sublime down to the most um Coarse. course course ooh. i was going to say another word but i forgot what it was yeah. but yeah um, um
1: i don't know if this connection is going to make sense but i'm going to try something so because you connected us back with exodus one of the things that you see out of this period when moses goes up to receive the ten commandments so originally when israel shows up at sinai which is not really by the way on the way to the promised land. It's <laughs> way out of the way. So God says, "Okay, before you can actually be built up into my people, we got to go on retreat for a little while." So we take them to the mountains. And while they're there, God actually begins speaking to all of Israel. And remember this in the second person, like, it's, you, Peter, shall not commit adultery. Yeah, it's, it's, you, like, you, it's like Harry Jimmy.
0: Potter at the yeah. very end when when um, Voldemort is speaking directly to everybody oh, and they yes, can't it, handle it. Wow, it is
1: kind of like that, except yeah. in a weird, twisted way. I mean, way. In, yeah, we got to be careful yeah, with that yeah, Vol- one, but Vol- yeah. Voldemort is, is, is not God. It's not God. <laughs> but um, everyone freaks out. And they're like, we don't want the voice of this God speaking. It's too much. It's too scary. Right. So they send Moses. They're like, you go get him. For us, you do it. And when he goes up on the mountain, what they see is the storm clouds and the lightning and the fire and all of the crazy upheaval, the center of which is the word being received and given and asked to be received by us. No, the the connection I'm trying to make here is that what Israel sees is chaos and upheaval. What they fail to see is that the center of that is the still small voice of God, speaking his words, speaking his vows. So
0: what you're saying, it's kind of like when Jesus is cleansing the temple with fire and lightning. Upheaval. Well and upheaval. Yeah, right. It's like, because he's just, he's just blasting it. He's kind going, of, you know, he's throwing stuff over. He's guarding the things. Right. He's stopping the commerce. He's, he's right. like, like he's go. To actually taking them on retreat. He's saying, go, right. go in the temple and encounter the temple as it, itself, not out of this commercial enterprise that's yes. supposed to be this thing. Like, let it be the, what it's actually meant to be for a minute. Which,
1: which begs this question that from Exodus, to John throughout salvation history to now, can we see through the upheaval that is constantly surrounding us to the word of God that always dwells at the center? That always is waiting for us, asking for us to listen, asking for us to receive, asking for us to hear his word, despite the upheaval that the word of God often brings along with it. Because the word of God sometimes divides people. It can split families apart. It brings the sword, sometimes not unity all the time, because the nature of the word of God is dangerous and it's provocative and it's difficult. So can we see through what the word brings with it to see the word in the Eucharist, in the scriptures, in our lives, working in the temples of our souls? Can we actually navigate through that to see the truth of what actually dwells in the temple rather than become fixated on the external signs, the dangers, the things that we're afraid of? And can we actually see and hear the word? Maybe that's the Hmm. kind of takeaway. That's what I'm that's what I'm seeing and kind of hearing out of this,
0: yeah, I think that that's uh yeah, like, can we trust God in His actions even when they're confusing to us? Yes, him? right. That that, um, that yeah. I, I, I come back to the uh, the the moment of Genneser, the the exorcism at Gennesaret. That can you trust in that moment when? The pigs are cast off of the oh yeah the, right the, uh, the cliff and the the economy is destroyed that that that's actually <laughs> there go getting, our pigs there go our pigs like right exactly like can you trust that- yeah, i
1: to title the podcast that. go <laughs> <laughs> the pigs <laughs>
0: sorry yeah but like can you trust that even in in that moment that God's action though violent and and confusing and and distressing is actually going to bear a good fruit because we see the repentance of all of Gennesaret. Right. We see see that the the temple is ultimately trans... I mean, the temple is recognized as Jesus. Like we actually... Eventually. But uh, what we didn't have time to go into is actually
1: out of this moment, perhaps, we get Nicodemus, mm. who struggles for a long time, but by the end of the gospel, actually becomes sort of the fruit that came out of this Mm. hard moment. Yeah. There's more fruit when he does it again later on, obviously, which leads to right. the cross. But can we can we see through that?
0: Yeah, which makes me ask the question of European vacation, <laughs> Clark. <laughs> we'll, we'll be pigs. We'll be pigs. That's all I have to say. <sighs> all right, have, man. That's a pig in a poke at the, the beginning of European Is that vacation? Like the game show that they're uh-huh. on? Uh huh. And then that's how oh they, you know, like.
1: The All I could think of was Bill and Ted's excellent adventure when they're with Napoleon at the ice cream place. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, eat the pig, eat the pig. Ziggy, 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 zig.
0: That was what was. In my head. <laughs> oh, head. <laughs> so you really evoked a lot. This wow. is a,
1: a pig centric uh, ending to the podcast. Yeah.
0: So God bless you. Don't fake the fucks. Third Sunday in <laughs> ordinary time. Keep it real. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast
1: is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org AICT. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, that is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.